1: Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set.
2: We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up,
3: everybody? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Today, Scott and I are joined by uh, the host of the Rumor Podcast, Sam and Mac. You'll hear them in just a couple minutes. Uh, we did like forty-five minute conversation. Scott and two two really great yeah. guys, really really nice um, diehard Orioles fans who are investigating the the rumor that may or may not be true about Cal Ripken Jr. and and Kevin Costner. If you're a baseball fan, or I mean, if you're a baseball fan, you're listening to this podcast if you're a po- listening to this podcast you're a baseball fan but i think even if you're not a baseball fan it's a story story worth uh listening to
2: i mean it's a great it's a great conspiracy theory there's a lot of legs to it i think a lot of people want it to be true as well um which not saying it is or it isn't we don't know yet um but yeah It was a fun conversation with these guys, just kind of going down memory lane with, uh, with just some baseball things. You know, I think that obviously as Yankee fans, we see a lot of the Baltimore Orioles, and and usually they're they're not good. They're not good at all. In fact, they should be 19 and 0 against the Orioles every single year until future, until uh, until we see something that's that shows differently. But um, yeah, just just a lot of fun, kind of going down there. I I I was in Baltimore a lot. Talk about that Uh, as a kid. Um, but also, we are going to be dropping the first episode of The Rumor on our feed. So um, we'll release this a couple hours after we we publish our interview with the guy. So definitely looking forward to that. Check it out. Uh, check out the the episode one. Episode two is also out back on The Rumor feed. And weekly episodes will be popped out on that one. But um, wanted to get you guys easy access yes, to it. Yes,
4: and as
3: well. uh, we appreciate the support. Scott and I are going to get our GM plans together and do that next week if if any news other than the fact that aaron judge i guess was
2: not in the gold glove which you don't care about which i think is an absolute I, I, travesty I, what a what a I bunch can't of bullshit take
3: care about a gold glove award which doesn't even really matter once rafael palmero
2: won the gold glove for playing like seven games at first base I, i'm sorry can't care about that award well except for that aaron judge is the best right fielder in the game but yeah he's not on the Oh, way conversation but yeah sure okay maybe it just talks about the fundamental problem with what what they're doing and what they're looking at maybe nobody's watching baseball I don't think anyone's and watching just giving a out for any I think reasons the, I, I, this World series I it's it's been it's been fun to watch it's been fun to watch I'm looking forward to the Braves needing to I'm not, I'm not going to jinx the shit. I need the Braves to win the game. The Braves would need to win the game. They were up 4 in the first inning in, in game five and didn't close out. That's fine. It out. It's the first inning. There's a lot of baseball. Uh, a lot of baseball. I mean, obviously, they, they can win it in That's,
3: Houston. Houston blew a 3-2 lead the last time they were in the World Series in Houston. So it could certainly happen. We're all rooting for it. Anyway, guys, enjoy this episode with Sam and Mac from The Rumor. Scott and I will be back at it with our uh, GM stuff next week.
1: Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash BlueWire. That's harrys.com slash BlueWire for a $3 trial set.
3: Scott and I are joined by Sam Digman and Mac Montandon. They are the hosts of BlueWire's new podcast called The Rumor. And uh, Scott and I have talked about this on, on recent episodes. But the, the story is just, it's so awesome. It's looking, it's investigating uh, to see if the Orioles conspired to cut power at Camden Yards in order to preserve Ripken's consecutive game streak because he was not at the ballpark, or maybe he was injured, or who knows? You guys are going to find out and because he caught his wife in bed with uh, actor Kevin Costner. I mean, I, if that doesn't get you to listen to the podcast, I don't know what will. So, uh, But what I would like to start is, I would like to dissect the Jeffrey Mayer... Pl- no, I'm just, I'm just kidding.
2: Mac. Um, <laughs> <nah. laughs> Ambush. We said we wouldn't Ambush. say that.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <We> d- <laughs> One, two minutes in and we're already dropping mayor bombs. Uh-huh.
2: Mac, this has nothing to do with Tony Tarasco. Nothing Mac, to do
3: with it. why don't you just uh, briefly uh, give some background on yourself, and then we'll go to Sam and we can just
4: introduce the listeners to, to both of you. Sure. Uh, so I guess the most pertinent bit of info is that I grew up in Baltimore and have been a diehard Oriole fan since 1979 when they, I just assume everyone experienced this. the same emotional heft I did, but that year, total overachieving ball club, somehow makes it to the World Series, somehow goes 3-1 up on the Pittsburgh Pirates, the We Are Family, Willie Stargell Pirates, only to lose the series in seven games and break my heart into a million pieces as well as the rest of the city. And I've essentially been trying to recover since then, and um, this project with Sam has been extremely helpful um, in cutting down on my therapy bill. <laughs> yeah.
2: We all have therapy yeah. in different ways.
3: Yeah, it right? yeah. usually yeah. stems from a heartbreaking baseball loss uh, as a child. I think everyone, no matter how much success your team has had, as a child, as an adult. But
2: when it's, you know, when it's a it's child, we use, we use these podcasts as therapy. I mean, hey, when the Yankees life. lost
3: in 2001, I thought there was a glitch in the matrix. I was like, well, what's happening here? Dad, can you explain this to me? I don't understand this <laughs> because it had never happened really in my- Okay, I take your there.
4: point, Andrew, but now multiply that pain times. I know, about one I know. billion. As
3: a Yankees fan-
2: He's like, and there's the Yankee.
3: As a Yankees fan, I cannot, uh, I I cannot talk. And and, you know, the Yankees, I don't know if you caught this guy in episode two came up where uh, someone that they were uh, trying to get a hold of had had like a Yankee sticker or a Yankee sign or or something on his house. And I could hear the pain in their voices when they they, they discovered that. Uh, So Sam, why don't you give a little intro to yourself?
5: Well, um, as a uh, perpetual underachiever, I have long been in love with the Orioles as uh, occasional overachievers as well. (laughs) Um, And I also love that we're talking about baseball in the way that I love baseball, which is the thing that both uh, puts us into therapy and also then serves as therapy. It somehow does both (laughs) things. Um, But I, too, grew up as an Orioles fan. Uh, I'm not from Baltimore. I'm from Alexandria, which is just about 40 minutes from Baltimore. Um, But when I was growing up, there were no Washington Nationals. And so if you wanted to be a baseball fan in Northern Virginia, you were an Orioles fan. Um, And my dad was an Orioles fan, which equated to me being an Orioles fan. Um, And... I was one of those kids who, like, used to bring my scorebook to the ballpark and I used to bring this little pen and sit in the chair and pretend I was broadcasting, simulcasting a radio broadcast into the pen while I watched the Orioles uh, most of the time get destroyed. Um, and I've just always been really in love with the, the narrative element of baseball, like the real-time storytelling of it. I, I have always found so fascinating. And more so than going to the games, I would say my favorite memories of baseball have to do with sitting with my dad in the living room, just listening to Chuck Thompson and John Miller call the game on the radio and just kind of marveling at the skill that that took um, to talk about this thing that is ost- could ostensibly never end. Uh- <laughs> um, and having to keep it interesting and scenic and exciting and lively for anywhere from two to six hours every night for um, six months, <laughs> it, yeah. And now that um, you know Mac and Mac and I are in the process of telling an approximately six-hour story uh, and are just barely going to make it <laughs> with the benefit of post-production, uh, I have even more respect. <laughs>
2: I think December first, we'll find out if it does keep going forever. <laughs> uh, you know, who knows the the collective bargaining agreement at that point will will be up, and there will be much debate. Yeah. But hopefully, it moves forward after that. We can get into some uh, some of today's baseball and how it's changed uh, from from the past as well. I wanted to offer a uh, just a, a, a bit of um, an opportunity for us to. Uh, to be on the same level with the Orioles, so I am a diehard Yankees fan. I grew up in in North Jersey, going to Yankee games for as long as I can remember. But um, my stepmother actually lived in Baltimore for a while, so we would go to uh, to uh, Memorial Stadium yeah, many man. many times. Yep. And so I I've actually I was I was probably at over a dozen games uh, when I was a kid going there. So I did go there quite often. And you know, if the Yankees were in town, that was great. If they weren't, we went to a baseball game. Um, but I specifically remember trying to catch a Larry Sheets home run ball and Whoa. getting in trouble after trying to get this ball because I jumped on the kid in front of me <laughs> to get the ball, and I think for the rest of the game I was just getting you know shot like death <laughs> stares from my father uh, because because I was trying to get this ball and had to live through the rest of the game with this kid playing with his friend of like how they kept the ball the entire time. So it was. <laughs> Probably adds to my disdain of, of um, the Orioles, you know, AL East, Right, uh, you know, doesn't help matters either. Um, and funny story is my father actually does have a certificate, you know, I don't know if they still do this, but they used to give cert- honorary certi- certificates for being an honorary Baltimore Oriole if you yeah. catch a foul ball. Uh, so he has that framed and he still has the ball. Uh, he caught a, a Fredlin foul ball. Totally, oh, man, totally. Uh, Give that fan just, a
4: contract. I, I don't yep, know if they it. still yep, say that's it, it that's but it. Um, yeah, I caught one foul ball behind home plate. And the PA guy said, Give that fan a contract. Someone came down. I must have been super young because all I remember is like so nervously scribbling my info. I'm sure they couldn't read it, and I never got the contract. <laughs> still I'm still waiting. Waiting still waiting to be contractually. Still waiting yeah, for it. Yeah, uh, that's, the def- that's the Orioles. Chris Davis. Yeah, Chris Davis exactly. had money. If yeah. not for that signing, it would be me instead of Chris.
5: <laughs> the rumor is is essentially Max Vengeance project yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. for the fact that he yeah. never received right. his contract.
4: <laughs>
2: that they will regret that's the, the <laughs> it'd
4: be, That'd be hilarious. Um, well, there is uh, in a future episode that uh, like you'll likely hear about. Um, yeah, some other attempts to uh, get into the system somehow.
3: So mm. to connect it to Yankees fans, because I, I think certainly we have listeners of different ages, but I think a lot of, um, a good portion of our listeners anyway, are around my age when, you know, grew up with, within the 90s. And, and that's when we started baseball. And and for me, Cal Ripken wasn't the same Cal Ripken, obviously, as he was to, to both of you guys. And, and part of it is because he wasn't his as dominant as he was in, in the eighties. But also it's like, I Scott and I were joking. You can tell how old the baseball fan is by, if you ask them what position did Cal Ripken play, whether they say third base or shortstop, yes. and he's a third baseman to me and he's a shortstop to, to Scott. So that's just another thing just the time, but talk about in the eighties and the early nineties, how important Ripken was to the city of Baltimore and the Orioles. And, and I think that's a, a reason why this story works.
5: For sure. I mean, Mac, I feel like you might be better qualified to to start this off. I have a thought, but you go first. Yeah, I guess
4: um, now that you mentioned that, Andrew, uh, yeah, it's sort of similar for Sam and me. Like, you know, I, when I was a fan of the team with the years that Ripken first came up, um, and then, you know, I think Sam was a, more of a diehard fan like through the 90s. So we'll kind of bridge all that time you're talking about. And yeah, I mean, well, it's 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 in the show to some extent. Um, we have you know we spoke with journalists and other folks to sort of comment on exactly what you're asking. And yeah, I don't think it's giving too much away to say you know um, is it even in? I, I, I'm mixing up episodes, so I don't want to give anything away. But they refer to him in like th- with the highest of praise, and like you know we say in the first episode like the streak is credited by a lot of people as saving baseball, right? Because he broke Gehrig's record in 95 and 94 was the player strike and the postponed World Series. So coming out of that, the league really needed this story very badly and it delivered in ways they couldn't have possibly imagined. Um, But even when he came up, you know, he was was rookie of the year his first year, MVP his second year, they win the World Series in 83, he catches (laughs) the last out. I mean, he's the son of, you know, this legendary Oriole coach. At some point, his brother's playing second and he's playing short and his dad's the third base coach. I mean, it's really, you know, royalty for a professional sports team, the likes of which I can't really think of an equivalent for any other team. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it was just he saved baseball. He saved the city. These are it's not hyperbole to say any of this stuff.
5: Yeah, and I think something that has been really fun for me to have sort of confirmed by the reporting that we have done, which is something that I always had maybe a gut instinct about or a a sense of, but that it was really exciting to hear people multiple sources really say in in literal words is that you know, whereas New York for example or LA are both big media market cities that are associated with, you go there to be a star, whether it's to be a star in the movies or to be a star of the culinary industry or to be a star of um, a baseball team. And Baltimore is ha- has this really, really deep uh, sort of post-industrial blue-collar identity to it. And the fact that Cal was famous and uh, renowned for just showing up every day and and doing what he was supposed to do and that there was any kind of a claim for that, I think, touched a, a very deep nerve in Baltimore because that's an identity that a lot of folks in that city had, you know, going all the way back to, I think, the, the 40s and the 50s and, and on through into the 80s, maybe even when by the time it was the 80s and the 90s, a lot of the industries that had been in the city had and helped create that ethic and sensibility had moved on. And so Cal was a reminder of the fact that that was such a part of the fabric of what it means to be a Baltimorean. Um, and so I think having somebody who was an embodiment of that, doing amazing things on the field every night, at, at the time at shortstop, you know, literally physically cutting a presence at shortstop that was unlike. What most people were used to, which was this smaller, yeah. more wiry, light hitting sort of figure. Here's this big hulking guy who, uh, as we say in the show, um clobbers home runs and tenders uh, cradles, ground balls tenderly. Um, it was I think it was a real revelation and and for Baltimore specifically, it was a real reminder of what's at the heart of of being somebody from that particular place. And one last thing just to
4: add to that, I'm sorry, but I think it's important also to mention. So the Orioles win in 83. In the winter of 84, the Colts leave town. Mm. And, you know, I mean, if you've seen Diner for even two minutes, you understand um, the relationship between the city and the Colts. And, you know, we had a source tell us that the day after they left, everyone drove with their lights on in the city like it was a funeral, (laughs) Um, so like to have this, you know, uh, son of Baltimore royalty come up at that time, especially that time, I think to Sam's point, it really very quickly, very immediately just solidified that idea that like he was him and his ethic were like impossible to untangle from the city itself.
2: You know, I think when you go even beyond the city, obviously the impact in the city just as you guys described, it was, was so massive. Um, but looking just at baseball and the way it, Cal, I think, shaped a lot of uh, what the future was going to look like with players going to play that position. Our own Derek Jeter, you know, 6'4", uh, Alex Rodriguez, you know, 6'3", 6'4". You see these guys as that normally would probably be at first base or, or, or third base or in a corner outfield spot are now, you know, showing their athleticism and able to to play short. You know, there weren't very many big uh shortstops. So Cal really opened, I think, the doors for a lot of just baseball players going and and actually thinking that they can play in that position too. So uh the Yankees certainly, you know, appreciate that because I think Cal was a direct, you know, was a direct influence on on Derek Jeter and and him going up. And you just see the way Derek Jeter carries himself. It's you know, it's Cal-esque in in a in a way the way that he uh, the way that he speaks, the way that he carries himself, and the way that uh, you know he's he he handles himself with the press, even in the fans. Uh, you see a lot of the a lot of similarities, and, and I have a feeling it was uh it had some influence from. And from Ricky. it
3: wasn't just that he played every day; it's that he played every day and he was good. And it's like that is, that is important. That I think people, you know, Garrett, same thing. He played every day and he was good. If you're if you're not good, you probably don't get the right to play every day, and probably play through some injuries that maybe would be better off if you just took a, took a day or two off. But the fact that he was good gave something everyone in that city and around around the league to to grasp onto and really respect. And Mac, you mentioned something about that that ethic that that Ripken personified. If this rumor's true, that's a little that's a little dent in that ethic, and. I think that's also why this story is so fascinating. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and for, to, to you guys, like you, you've talked about this and it's something I related to. I think you did it in the first episode. It's like, you know, you don't have the same relationship to baseball today as adults as you did when you were kids, but you still love the game. And if something was told, you know, you found something out about Ripken from that era it would bother you because you had such a, an important connection to him and what that streak meant. And um, so, so I mean, I just think it's like, I don't really, I don't know, have a question. It's just, it's just, uh, I think it's why the investigation into this works. Uh, it's not just like, oh, was there a scandal? It's like, okay, everyone has a scandal at some point, right? So it, it's, it's, it's so much more than that, really.
4: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there are huge stakes for baseball and baseball fans. But then I, you know, yeah, for for Sam and me, it's like there are these these very personal stakes. And I think one thing I I love about the story and our work on it is, you know, that can change. Like it's, it's, it's kind of nuanced. Like I think it's very rare in sports where you have winners and losers and good guys and bad guys to have a kind of weirdly personal nuance story that can change almost minute to minute, depending on new info that we're learning.
3: And it's interesting because if this is true, Ripken's wife was cheating on him with seemingly a friend in Kevin Costner. Ripken's the victim in that portion of the story. But if he then conspired with the Orioles to get the game, the power cut and the game delayed, he also becomes... Evil in the whole story, so it's it's sort of like he's a victim on one hand, but also it's like he's a skis ball on the other hand because he's doing things to preserve his streak, and and so that that's also a, a cool angle to it.
5: No, well, Andrew, I, you're really putting your finger on on the absolute heart of what we're trying to do with this thing because as you've just just described it, the implication of the story is that Cal Ripken may like other human beings, contain multitudes. (laughs) (laughs) And um, that idea, as obvious and on the nose as it sounds, you know, maybe in this conversation, when you're a kid and you're growing up idolizing somebody, it's not just that you can't conceive of your hero, whether it's a baseball player or a movie star. It's not just that you can't conceive of them as being nuanced and containing flaws. Um, It's that it would be destructive to your self-conception. Like you need somebody who is beyond reproach um, because your body is changing and your mind is evolving and, and those things are happening on p- different tracks and, uh, you know, your life's in chaos and and you're trying to m- mature and everything. And there's such an incredible value in having a figure in your life like Cal Ripken who you can consider to be just the embodiment of having, doing things the right way and... A role model. A ro- exactly. A role model. And I think the thing that has been really exciting about this project is the chance to interrogate, you know, we're using ourselves to tell the story, but hopefully it's a universal universally relatable thing. What does it mean to move from needing somebody to loving them for who they really seem to be um and that's one of those things you know it may sound deceptively simple out loud but that's something that we're all trying to do whether it's with our parents or our partners or our children or our um the other members of our family or or any anything in our our life and it's a very bumpy process and i think you know not that the show is only for uh you know cis hetero men or um uh, or that cis hetero men are the only people who care about baseball, but I do think, uh, just you know, speaking for myself as a cis hetero man, like uh, b- baseball was how I was able to talk about feelings. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for exactly. a big part of my life. Everyone and, has
3: something in their life that they loved so much, whether it's baseball or whether it's drawing or re- whether it's you know what are you singing, like whatever you want to, and, and if that gets taken from you in any form or fashion everyone can relate to that.
4: Andrew, that's a little eerie that you gave those three examples because I was a decent little league baseball player. And then at a certain point, I told my mom I wanted to stop playing. And she was like, oh, uh, why? Do you want to do something else instead? And I was like, yeah, I want to draw and play the guitar. And to this day, there aren't two things I'm worse at than drawing and playing the guitar, and I really <laughs> wish I.
2: What about playing bass?
4: I really wish I stuck with it. Yeah. I really wish I was, I was a decent, yeah. like lo, you know, little league shortstop. Yeah.
5: Well, I think I use this given examples, where though, the, where I, things I, stand with the Orioles. Like uh, any of us could probably make the <laughs> roster right yeah. now. So
3: yeah I think I use those examples because it was brought up that you you were in a, a band at some point in the 90s and then drawing I think because I also like to draw as a kid I don't, I don't know why I picked those three examples Wh- whatever okay but you're
4: whatever. not reading my diary I guess but uh it's still eerie but, but I want to get into a little bit like the nuance
3: because also i I I'm I don't I'm not like a huge true crime fan but like over the years you know you get into these different whether it's serial the podcast or whether it's um, the Jinx is another one that, like, I really got into on HBO. I love the details and like sort of finding out, like, and the interweaving of it. So this happens—the incident—in August of 1997. He's already broken the consecutive games record l- long ago. So if 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 he just didn't play that day, he's he's already achieved what he set out to achieve. So why is it so? Why is it so important? It's because. Oh, if he did it in ninety-seven, maybe he did it in ninety-three, and maybe he, maybe something happened in ninety one, and maybe in nineteen eighty-eight something happened that they covered up to sort of build him up to this. And right. the Ripkin family.
2: those, those that Ripkin family and I family, think it's that peeling know. back going going through what they need to go through to make sure that they're still the Ripkin family, even though Billy, we'll talk about Billy in another therapy session. The peeling <laughs> back
3: of the onion is what is what makes it really fascinating. And it's like I don't know, because Scott joked, uh, I forget when you said, Scott, but like, uh, you wished it happened before, like this supposedly happened before the streak was actually broken. Then
2: that's, that's the, that's the, the blue wire employee in me is like, you know, if it was a little bit, if it was before the, the Gehrig thing, the implications of that would be, we you know, can run really with it, piss this off. Is true, listening to this is true. Like who right knows now?
5: what he did in 1993.
2: Yeah. Right, right, right. We can keep digging. Yeah, season two.
5: Well, and there you've you've really put your finger on, I think, um, what is so psychologically interesting about this story. And I think, as you were just saying, Andrew, one of the the best true crime shows, there's an intriguing factual question at the center, but the alleged perpetrator of whatever the crime is, whether it's um, punching Kevin Costner in the face or, like, murdering your spouse. Different um, Thankful different levels um, the The story gets really interesting when you start to mine the psychology mm-hmm. of the person at the center who you have this simultaneous closeness and distance with. And the fascinating question with Cal has always been how much of the streak was about his ego and how much of it was about the fact that in this blue-collar sense that we were just talking about in terms of Baltimore, he was just trying to be internally consistent with what he felt was the right way to play the game. Because if you look at it from the standpoint of he wasn't trying to set a record, he was just doing what was his, what was expected of him, and there's something honorable in that, why would you stop after you break Gehrig's record? Because you weren't doing it to break Gehrig's record, you were just doing it because it's it's what you're paid to do. On the flip side, there's exactly what you just said. Um, the fact that the record was broken, he could have taken a day off any day after that and still been a certifiable Hall of Famer. And then there's also the fact that, as a lot of journalists started to point out, in into particularly the later 90s, you know, he offensively was not the same guy that, the same threat that he once was by you know, 95, 96, 97. Um, And even defensively, there were a lot of people who felt, you know, there's a reason they moved him to third base. (laughs) Excuse me. So I feel like that murkier question at the center of it allows us to have a little bit of investigative fun, but also ask some legitimate questions about the fact that, you know, here's this guy whose reputation is about just being the personification of the working class, and then we go to look at the house that he once lived in, and it has 13 bathrooms and two four-car garages and an Olympic-sized koi pond. Um, And that deepens that question about what this was really about for him. I
2: I think also for that, too, you know, you have to become— it almost transforms you along the way, right? I mean, you become the embodiment of the streak. People are are looking at you, looking at this streak. And if you break the streak, if Cal doesn't play today, well then then what? Then what? Because it you know, the implications for for the fans who have never seen this guy take a day off, I think just go, you know, deep. It's not fathomable at that point. And then also, you know, as this thing is, you know, if if he didn't play on a given day well why didn't he play on that given day and then there's a lot more you know uh, that goes into that as well yeah. so you know i think the the risks of him ending at, for whatever reason one he you know uh, assumingly he had it probably played out in his mind of how it's going to end what that's going to look like how the fans are going to react to that how the organization is going to react to that and and that's that goes along with being an aging player a lot of times you can't end on your terms and that's just one of the unfortunate pieces of being an aging professional athlete that's a really good
4: point and um definitely that's embedded in our story is stuff about cal managing the streak right when whether that means like how to play through injuries or like yeah what's the right way to land that giant plane (laughs) um and i think you know going back to to the jeter ripkin connection i feel like in a way they both kind of like pulled a seinfeld and like went out at the right time. And if I remember right, um, didn't Jeter, like I feel like he had like a full season farewell tour, right? Oh like, yeah. He kind of managed th- the end almost like too well in that it was like, yeah, um, this is, I mean, I feel like.
2: Well, some would say too well, some would
4: say perfect. Yeah, no, potato, <laughs> potato. But, but, but um, the point, from an but, oral perspective, it might have been a little too polished.
2: Well, the, the
3: Yankees, a bad precedent in baseball was set I think with the Jeter farewell tour the season prior it was the Mariano farewell tour and and uh, I, I think David Ortiz even got a little bit of it around the league yes um, I don't know if uh, I, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head who, who also got it. did Griffey
2: get it or uh, uh, Mauer I think Mauer got a one. farewell tour yeah. I'm pretty sure Joe Mauer mm-hmm. got mm-hmm. one. giving mm-hmm. Joe uh, Mauer yeah, a, fair. For like, a great player. In her, but, like,
3: he's not a farewell. I don't think anyone should be getting a farewell tour.
2: But that's the point, isn't it? That's the point. It just the gray area starts getting much, much, much yeah, quickly, uh, you, you mentioned larger. something yeah.
3: about, like, oh, what is Ripken's true motivation for setting the streak? Is it his ego or is it something? Like, it could be both. Like, you don't get to the point that Ripken got without an ego. Every professional athlete has an ego. It's just how big is the ego? It, it, from a far, farther away standpoint than the both of you guys. I didn't think his ego w- was that big, but like certainly that mm-hmm. a, plays a factor in why he's even trying to do this. And that's okay, I think.
5: For sure, for sure. And I think, you know, one of the things we, as, particularly in America, one of the things we do to our detriment is ignore the extraordinary amount of ambition that it takes to become elite at anything. And the amount of, cutthroat, this isn't a direct implication at cow, but like the the amount of cutthroat kind of killer instinct you have to have in order to make it to the top of something as competitive as pro sports. It's probably something that none of the four of us or anybody listening to either of our podcasts will ever even get the faintest taste of. I mean, it's, it's an astonishing amount of work ethic and desire to achieve at all costs. Um, and I think, you know, that's, something else that is is good to remind ourselves about. Um, but just since we were talking about it, one of the other things that has been an interesting dynamic to play with in the reporting of this story, and this is something that will come out in subsequent episodes, is talking to the electrical personnel who were involved in this. A lot of those folks are the actual kind of day-to-day unsung, grinded out type of workers that, you know, Cal got all this credit for being. And I think, you know, to give maybe a harder time where a harder time is due, Kevin Costner has become an international celebrity for embodying the idea of. Um, but the difference there being, Cal seems to have maybe enjoyed the fame of it to some extent, Kevin Costner, I think we can safely say, definitely enjoys the fame of it. Um, and all of these guys uh, that we have spoken to, the idea that somebody wants to talk to them for a podcast is sort right. of hilarious to them. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And they're, they're going
3: to play along with it, whereas Costner and, and Ripkin uh, not as much.
5: And I think, I don't know, for
3: whatever is Costner is the perfect actor that this may or may not have been uh, to be involved in the story. Oh, yeah. Like, if it was Tom Hanks, is it as big of a – is it as funny or as ironic? It's just because, like, Costner's baseball connection, like we were talking about. Like, Costner's been in three freaking baseball movies. Like, who else does three baseball movies in their career?
4: It so, definitely mm-hmm. changes the texture of yeah, the show if I it's Tom so. Hanks. I think, so. um, I think so. Who I think has been yeah, married to the same woman for 160 <laughs> years. While Costner, you know, whether or not – and how whatever – amount of this is true or not true um you know like it's not hard to like google his sort of like roguish past so it would definitely be a um different different story and it's actually is a different podcast i recommend called dead eyes oh okay there you yeah, go yeah
5: not to not to commit the cardinal sin of promoting another show while we're talking about our own while but, we're promoting um,
3: another show yeah it's double promotion <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah Yeah, this is like wearing the t-shirt of yourself, wearing the t-shirt of yourself. (laughs) But I have to say, there actually is a sort of connection between that show and our show and and the sort of general true crime thing that you were referencing earlier, Andrew, which is um, I think we are in a time where because it's so much easier than it used to be to go deep on things, just generally speaking, that stories that... Go deep on things that we used to just accept that we all agree on, um, whether that's the outcome of a criminal investigation or the true personality of uh, a Kevin Costner or a Tom Hanks. Those things are more interesting now than I think they've ever been. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's a difference, I hope there's a difference, between thinking about a story that way and uh, thinking about it as just um, sort of raw gossip, which has its value, (laughs) um, in terms of entertainment. But, um, I would like to think that we're trying to plug into that, that larger trend, which, um, is allowing a lot of more nuanced exploration of celebrity and, um, authority and power to take place.
3: Yeah. And you, you have a a deeper connection to this than some other quote unquote conspiracy theories out there that, Maybe interesting, maybe more high profile, but but certainly don't don't have the same sort of connection. So before we wrap it up, <clears throat> Mac, uh, what are your what are your f- top three favorite Kevin Costner movies,
4: baseball or non baseball movies? Wow. Um, well, I I did rewatch Bull Durham and Field of Dreams. Oh, and for Love of the Game, <laughs> just in the last year. Okay, just as research. Yep. And of those three, Bull Durham. Would be on the list. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure how great a movie it is, but I have a lot of fondness for one called Silverado, um, one of his earliest films. I-, I remember my aunt took me to it, and she was like transformed by the experience. Like we left the theater, and she was sure she was going to marry Kevin Costner. And I think like that was maybe one of the first moments where I was like, wow movie stars have this incredible power, Mm -hmm. right? So I think I'd put it on there. Um, um, My last one, I mean, there there are actually like a bunch I I genuinely like, but um, I think my last one's going to be a bit of a dark horse pick and I'm going to go with the big chill. (laughs) (laughs) And if anyone out there isn't sure why that's a dark horse pick, just Google Kevin Costner and Um, The Big Chill and Cal Ripken. No, just um, Kevin Costner and The Big Chill. He was famously cut from that Um, and so does not actually appear, but he is in the credits.
5: Nice. What about you, Sam? Some would say his finest work. (laughs) Oh, Um, Don't disparage the man like that. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) just wait for episode (laughs) three. Um, Well, in all seriousness, uh, there is uh, some discussion at some length in episode three about what is actually my favorite Kevin Costner movie, (laughs) um, uh, which is JFK, the the Oliver Stone movie where he plays Louisiana District Attorney Jim Garrison. Um, I think that movie is, this gives away a little bit of the beginning of that episode, but that I know that's a very controversial movie but it is also for better or for worse the movie that opened me up to the idea that you can question the official narrative of a are thing are you big on the jfk um,
3: conspiracy because i went a couple years ago i went very like i read multiple
5: books on the jfk conspiracy theory mm-hmm, you're big into mm-hmm. it well I, I wouldn't say it's it's something i've spent you know i've seen jfk the movie probably Four Took times, so I've spent twelve <laughs> hours on it at least. Okay, <laughs> um, and I, you know, I, I don't buy the argument that uh, Oliver Stone is is making in that movie, um, but I, I am really interested in it in terms of it's kind of the the source text uh, for a lot of the way that we discuss these theories in culture and so I, I find it fascinating in that regard that um we kind of can't ever stop going back to it it's 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 religious in that sense that we're always kind of finding some new thing in it mm-hmm. to pull it out it cha- culturally um, changed
3: changed the country which i think yeah. for you guys if this happened could change your change your viewpoint on on ripkin so maybe s- small small connection there but all right so exactly so uh so Number two and three on the Costner movies for you.
5: So number two, I, I think I'm probably gonna make the obvious choice and go with Bull Durham. Um it's if
4: it ain't broke, baby. If it ain't broke.
5: Yeah, it it's just it's just one of those movies that you know, I we spoke to I don't know, I don't think this clip is probably gonna make it into the series, but we uh we spoke to a really wonderful writer named Will Leach, um, who you do hear from in the series, just not saying this particular thing. But uh, he references this idea that uh, at his best, Kevin Costner wears his characters like a jacket. It's just—it's mm-hmm. like he's just draped it on and it fits perfectly. And I don't think that's more evident anywhere else than Bull Durham. It's just such... Peerless casting and an incredible performance, and you can watch that movie 150 times, and it just gets better every time. Um, also written and th- by
4: a uh, former Oriole minor leaguer, written and directed right. right. by, right. yeah,
5: connection. Ronnie Schultz. Um, so, I, I think for my my third one, I'm I'm going to shout out Prince of Thieves. Uh, n- less as a movie and more just as I liked. There's something about Kevin Costner running around in the forest with a bow and arrow that just—it—it <laughs> it just felt very, in the in the sense of Costner feeling like somebody who could basically be your dad. Um, the idea that your dad maybe is just a hop, skip, and a jump and away from you know,
2: being Robin. stealing <laughs>
5: from the rich to to feed the poor and. Um, being this kind of mythic figure of the of the hinterlands. Uh there was just something that it made in episode 2 there's a lot of talk about Costner personifying this idea of accessible masculinity. And for me Robin Hood Prince of Thieves is is the movie that really does that. It's like, oh, I could be Robin Hood cuz Kevin Costner could be Robin Hood. See, I
2: think w- that's I mean that's a very good movie. I actually wasn't even thinking about that when we were, when we were uh, posing this question, but it's a good one. Acting Kevin Costner's acting in the movie is a little suspect at times, but it's again Robin Hood. Take it for what yeah. it is. Does yeah. he do an accent? Uh, in that I home? think they're both. The, uh, uh, yeah,
5: I don't think so. Yeah, it's like ish. Yeah, it's like in it, It's it's that Kevin Costner sweet spot of like, is he trying to? What's he What's he doing?
2: <laughs> yeah, what's going on here? I think I think tin cup is uh, all yeah. tin, tin cups one of yeah, my favorites. and yeah. I think it's got that the the bull Durham uh feel to it just because I think he it's a good a good analogy about the the mm-hmm. jacket he just kind of wears mm-hmm. it he he fits into that that bull Durham uh, character and the tin cup character to me are are one in the same one's a you know a uh a, a, a dirt hole uh driving range golf club or, or a golf instructor or golf pro and yeah uh, minor league baseball there, there's Absolutely. some similarities. you can there. believe that's the Absolutely. same character just
4: in a different life. <laughs>
2: You can believe it's the same. It's, it's actually Up is just the retired version. Can we also <laughs> shout out
4: Rene Russo yeah. while we're on the subject? Of course.
2: Yeah. And Rene Russo and Susan Serena to me, always had a, some some interesting uh, similarities. I, I would get them confused at times, different ports of their No careers, one
3: given love to Waterworld, one of my favorite uh, good, bad movies of all time. <laughs> Speaking of just father-son, this is one of my, me and my dad's favorite just trash movies to put on if, if we're trying to kill some time, but...
5: Well, this is an amazing thing about, you know, talk about containing multitudes. There is something really remarkable about Costner that there are many Costners. And there is the Costner where you're like, ah, I, he, he's just so natural in this and it just fits him so well. I could watch this endlessly. And then there are some movies where it's like, what on earth were they thinking putting this guy in tights and like sending him to run around in the woods? Like so many people would have been better at this. And yet there's just something about it. That works, um, and, you know, that's a special thing to be able to pull off as a performer.
4: And, like, Sam and I were sort of startled to remember while working on this just how many Oscars, Dances with Wolves won, and Kevin himself. Kevin, listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> <But God. laughs> I usually call him <laughs> Kev. But, I don't know what came okay. over it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. KC. Yeah. kc himself uh yeah took home i think sam refers to it as a
5: cupboard full of uh, a cupboard full mm-hmm. yeah mac mac weirdly refers to kevin costner as kev and cal ripkin as calvin <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah
2: it's a, dances with wolves is a very it's, it's one of those movies too that's uh it's got so many uh, memorable scenes and although there wasn't a ton of talking in it there's a lot of quotable things i I still, like, Tatanka. My brother and I mm-hmm. probably talked about that movie and remote, uh, actually clipped that movie in our heads more than any other, which is weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, my son knew, you know, bulls and bison as Tatanka mm-hmm. in the beginning because we were making a joke of it.
1: You ready?
0: Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy.
1: Let's do doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions.
0: Yes! A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on
1: Netflix.
3: Don't want to give away anything at the end, but uh, last question, Sam, do you want this rumor to be true?
5: Hmm. uh well, this is something where i I think uh Mac and I maybe differ a little bit um i'll I'll come right out and and say uh, with the caveat that i I'm not um giving any indication of of how the series wraps up, but uh I will say that when we started, i really really didn't want it to be true um because. You know, as we've been talking about, I, I am I am actively in the process of figuring out how much I still need these childish things that I that I once held that's on fair. to. And um, you know, we're I think it's obvious already by like probably three minutes into the second episode, how much Mac and I are acknowledging our subjectivity and telling this story. Um and uh, yeah, that that's been a that's been a huge part of it for me is the the resistance to the idea that it would be true, Max.
3: So you're more on the side of you—you you want it to be true. You—you you at least want to uncover something, right?
4: Yes, yeah. more the yeah. latter. Um, yeah, I don't—I don't want it to be true necessarily, but I, yeah, I, I desperately want to know what is true. And you know, I think it's already come out a little bit in the series, but, um, yeah, I—I I think. It's not so simple as to say, if it is true, you know, that changes Ripken for us in X, Y, and Z ways. And if it's not, you know, we remain as we were as as kids. I think, like, I think actually just the process of tracking down the truth for both of us changes how we think about all him, the man, the city, the team, the whole story.
5: And something I think has been a really exciting discovery for us, Mac and I have been friends for a long time now, uh, but working on a project like this, you really learn a lot about each other. And, um, you know, I think, and Mac, let me know if you disagree, but I think it's fair to say that um, Mac has found a lot of life and vigor in the really propulsive investigative parts of this process. And I have found a lot of richness in the more nostalgic, backward-looking pieces of this. That's cool. Uh, which well, I you think you guys are getting something different s-
3: out of it. That, that, that's cool.
5: Yeah, and I think it serves the story to have both of those things balancing each other out. But it it also makes it so that it's it's a type of story that uh, hopefully weaves both of those those elements together.
4: I think that's very fair and accurate to say. In fact, just yesterday, I called Sam. <laughs> somewhat breathlessly after getting off the phone with a source who had some great, great info. So um, (laughs) yeah, I won't give anything away, but it seems like every day there's a moment like that where I'm like, holy crap, Sam, what do we make of this?
2: (laughs) (laughs) And that's the beauty of a podcast too, right? As As it continues to grow and reaches more people, you never know who hears it and who knows something that, that can uncover. So, um, I'm interested, very interested to, to continue on, uh, you know, the weekly journey with you guys and, and, and see how this thing unfolds. Um, but the intrigue is, is that one of our guys, uh, Nick Kirby is a, a co-host of one of our, uh, George's Boxer show that we had, and I think we we're, for whatever reason, talking about conspiracy theories on, he had it on Twitter. And I think the one that he wanted to be true so badly was this, was this particular one that this was a couple of years ago that he tweeted it. I, it stuck in my mind since then. So stay tuned Um, definitely definitely uh looking forward to the to the the series yeah thanks guys so
3: much for your time and for everyone listening so um wednesday as this is coming out we're also going to put the first episode of the rumor on the bronx pinstripes feed so you can listen to it right there but again search the rumor in apple or spotify or or anywhere that you're listening to your shows and and give it a listen i highly recommend it so far the two episodes and it's just fantastic so max
5: sam thank you guys so much Thank you guys so much. We really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it with you and to be introduced to your your listeners. Thank yeah. you.
4: Thanks, guys. This was a lot of fun and uh, hope to see you in the 2027 ALCS. <laughs> <laughs> Why sure. Throwing it out there. Throwing it out there. Aaron Hicks we'll will what we'll be patrolling. Center
2: yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> or, or on the roster. In theory, <laughs> supposed to be. All right. <laughs> as long as
4: Pat Valaika is our manager, I have a good feeling we can see you there. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, guys. All right.
5: <laughs>
2: hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes, and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees.